Welcome to TIFF Talk, sponsored by Endogastric Solutions, a podcast that interviews physicians and real-life patients about the most common gastrointestinal disorder, GERD, commonly known as chronic acid reflux. Listen to patients and physicians interact, break down the disease from different perspectives, and learn how taking the next step in your treatment can change your life. For our audio listeners, you can see visuals on our YouTube channel at GERD Help. The TIF procedure may or may not be appropriate for your health condition. Only your doctor can explain the benefits and risks of all treatment options. Results may vary. Visit GERDHelp.com for more clinical data. The TIF procedure for reflux was developed by Endogastric Solutions Incorporated. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our TIFF Talk. I'm Andrea Millers with Endogastric Solutions. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I'm super excited to have our special guest. I hope I don't mess it up, but Dr. Piacentino. He is in each, uh, and before we start, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, that is, I also want to introduce uh, Karen Girth. She's with Endogastric Solutions as well. She will be helping fielding the questions that we get live today. Before I uh, hand it over uh, to our great doctor, I do want to give a little background on Dr. Piacentino. He is practicing, he's a practicing surgeon in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. He completed a residency at Duke University Medical Center, and he currently practices at Grand Strand Surgical Center and is affiliated with Grand Strand Regional Medical Center. Dr. Piacentino is board certified in general surgery. So welcome again, Dr. Piacentino, and thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you so much. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yes, we're excited as well. So we normally start these presentations kind of talking about what is GERD. So maybe you can talk about what is GERD and then also describe maybe some symptoms that patients might be feeling if they were suffering from GERD or chronic, uh, chronic acid reflux. That's a great question. So your stomach makes acid to digest your food. The esophagus is the main food tube. It's where food enters from your mouth into your stomach. Normally, you have a good separation between the esophagus and the stomach and that acid that's in the stomach. GERD or reflux is when an inappropriate amount of that acid in your stomach comes back up into your esophagus, gives you that burning feeling, gives you that I retaste my food feeling, um, which can really really make you miserable, really make you not, you know, enjoy the meals that, you know, you go out with your friends and family or, you know, when you enjoy your weekends at the at the restaurant. So, you know, reflux can have a really big impact on people's lives. The main symptoms are retasting your food, burning in your chest, but also there's some symptoms such as cough, um, sinusitis, chest pain that may not be so typical that could also be um, triggered by bad reflux. Right. So Dr. Piacentino, what do you normally do or recommend patients um, to do initially um, to kind of manage their, their GERD, if you will? So the first thing that I do when I meet someone to talk about GERD is what are you eating that's causing this problem? Or what are you doing that causes this problem? 
Are you eating too close to going to bed at night? Are you eating and then going, doing some strenuous activity? Are there certain foods that cause you to feel the reflux, the retasting? Um, so I ask people to keep a diary, make a list of what you eat and see which foods are causing a trigger. Also learn about, is it really reflux or is it an allergy? Is it something related to your dietary intolerance? Are you lactose intolerant? Do you uh, not tolerate certain meals or do you take in too much of a meal that causes you to feel bogged down and have reflux and you know suffer from that? Also, I think people sometimes feel like they need to you know take a pill or do something else, but simple things like activity or optimizing your weight can help you minimize your GERD. And then finally, doing, doing your best to stay hydrated, minimize the size of your meals, eat more frequently throughout the day, those are the things that can minimize some reflux. I love that. Thank you. I, one thing that you, you mentioned that I think is a really great point is diagnosing whether or not it's truly GERD that is causing you to have these types of symptoms. I think people are so used to just, it's so trivialized, right? Oh, I've got acid reflux or I got heartburn. I just go to the store and get some medicine, pop it in and think I'm going to be okay. Um, can you talk a little bit? I see a bunch of people. Thank you for joining everybody and for your questions. Um, but we'll we'll get to them, I promise. But uh, can you talk a little bit about the testing that is required to determine whether or not someone actually has GERD? Sure. So there are a couple tests, both invasive and non-invasive, and we'll talk about the non-invasive ones first. Listen, if you have reflux, it's actually a piece of paper. There's a well-known GERD questionnaire that is that has been made and has been validated and has been put through the medical literature. Um, the GERD questionnaire, it's called, which gives you, I, if I remember correctly, it's about 10 questions, and it has a scoring system, and it's pretty darn um, spot on to diagnose people that have reflux. And what I mean by that is they then, those patients that do the questionnaire, then have what's called a barium swallow or an esophagram, in, in, it might be called, where you drink a liquid and x-rays are taken. And the radiologist can look at that liquid, go down your esophagus, into your stomach, and they can actually see your reflux. They can see the liquid go back up and down in your esophagus and they can grade it. They can say it's large or small. They can also look for some anatomical problems you have, such as a what's called a hiatal hernia, which is where a part of your stomach pooches up into your chest and causes a <clears throat> causes a disruption in that valve we spoke about earlier. Another test that we do, which I find to be one of the most inexpensive and most efficacious tests that we do is what's called an EGD. It's a fancy word for an endoscopy, or some people say light down the throat. It's where we take a camera, we go down the food pipe into your stomach, we take a look at your stomach, we look for ulcers, we look for irritation, and then we really look at the esophagus. Is the esophagus in the right place? Is the border between the esophagus and the stomach in the right place? Are there any hernias? Is there any irritation? And we can actually take little biopsies to look for bacteria that can make your reflux worse or can make your acid load worse. So you get a lot of bang for your buck from those kind of tests. Yeah, fantastic, thank you. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the kind of initial uh, medical therapies that are available today uh, for, uh, GERD or acid reflux. Can you talk maybe about, um, taking PPIs or, or those kind of over-the-counter medications, if you will? Sure. 
<clears throat> now I'm going to digress for a second and talk about PPIs with respect to history. So one of the most common surgeons that surgeries that general surgeons would do back in the seventies was a procedure for perfed ulcers. People might have heard of that, a hole in the stomach. Mm. So drug companies came up with a medic proton pump inhibitor to minimize the amount of acids that you make in your stomach. And it decreased those complications. Those medications have never been prescribed and or approved for greater than 14 days. That has never changed. That is exactly what you will see on the little bottle when you go to CVS or Walgreens or where you go. It'll say maximum therapy is 14 days. So PPIs are efficacious. PPIs do decrease the feelings of reflux, but like every other medication, they do have their own side effects. There are other medications such as what are called the H2 blockers, which are famotidine and the like. Those can have, can improve your GERD, but to a lesser extent. Right. Perfect. Thank you. Can you talk a little bit about uh, unmanaged GERD? You had mentioned um, you have a family member actually that might be watching, so you can give a little shout out to to your sister. Um, but uh, you had mentioned that she had, uh, that, you know, a bed treat go into uh, something else. It can get worse. It could eventually become um, Barrett's esophagus or, or uh, even esophageal cancer. Can you talk about that progression if it's if your GERD is untreated? Sure. Um, you know, GERD itself is a burning of the esophagus. So imagine that you have a few bouts of GERD and you change your lifestyle and it goes away. Your body will heal that. The body is amazing. It will heal those kind of damages. But if that burning and that injury to your esophagus goes on, for months and years and years without proper treatment, the body will do something to try to heal it. And part of that is grow new cells. Well, sometimes that growing of the cells can work for a little bit. It'll make the esophagus tougher or it'll make it more resistant to the reflux. And that will cause what's called esophagitis, which is inflammation of the esophagus. But then at some point it can go awry and the body will start to think that the esophagus is actually the stomach. So it will start to make stomach lining on the inside of the esophagus, and that's called Barrett's esophagus. Left unchecked, Barrett's esophagus can turn into esophageal cancer. Esophageal cancer is one of the deadliest cancers with very limited treatment options and has a, a terrible, terrible prognosis and outcome. Um, in, in, le in patients left unchecked with Barrett's, unfortunately, it can turn into esophageal cancer. Thank you for sharing that up. I'm going to pass it over to Karen. I do see quite a few questions coming in um, from our viewers. So I'll pass it over to you, Karen, to get some of those questions asked. Thank you, Andrea. Um, our first question we have um, is from Diana, and she's saying she has gastrophoresis, and she manages it pretty well with her diet, and she does have flare-ups once in a while. Uh, she's been on uh, PPIs for about 20 years, and she cannot go without it. Uh, how can she get off the meds? And is there a procedure such as the TIF procedure that could help her? So gastroparesis, or if you break it up, stomach paralysis, gastroparesis, usually is treated in non-surgical ways with small diets, small meals, because basically the horsepower of the, this horsepower of the stomach is reduced. So imagine that any food that you put into the stomach has a great ability to go back up the esophagus. So if the gastroparesis is treated either pharmacologically with some medications or if 
procedures such as EGD and other procedures show that the other parts of the esophagus and the parts of the intestines are working, there are roles for TIF procedures and other surgical procedures to minimize reflux. But the most important part is understanding what caused the gastroparesis, is it treatable, um, and whether or not there's, there are actual procedures that combined treating gastroparesis and reflux together. Um, we have another question and then we'll, I'll, I'll give it back to you, Andrea, because we have some questions coming in specifically about the TIF procedure. Uh, but I do have a question um, I hear from Mike. He wants to know, why do I feel like my food is coming back up and kind of stuck in my throat after I eat? Great question. So when you, when you feel the food come back up, that's most likely, you know, gastroesophageal reflux. But in that food that you ate is the acid. And it's burning the lining of your esophagus. And if you imagine your body's response to that is to make you feel like you either need to throw up the food or drink some water, drink something to try to minimize that. Those repeated bouts over time will minimize the strength of the esophagus. And you can actually develop what's called an esophageal stricture, which is where the esophagus will narrow down and make eating even worse. So what's happening is the food's coming back up because of reflux, because the valve between your esophagus and your stomach is not working. You're bringing the food up with acid, having that terrible feeling, and it's forcing you to do something to, to make the food go down. Thank you for that. And I'm going to hand it back to Andrea uh, before we kind of dive into these other questions about the TIF procedure. Fantastic. Thank you, Karen. And uh, so let's talk about the available treatment options for GERD. Um, I know we talked a little bit about lifestyle modifications, moved into the kind of medical therapy, and then maybe you can start discussing the TIF procedure and, and then other surgical procedures that are out there as well. Sure. Um, so we, like you said, you have the modifications and the medical therapy. So surgically, there are two types of procedures. There's procedures that involve an incision on your belly wall, and there's procedures that don't. So to start off, the minimally invasive procedures include the TIF procedure, transoral incisionless fundoglycation. So it's a fancy, fancy phrase for it. It goes through the mouth. There's no incisions on your belly. And fundoplication is a fancy way of saying we're going to use a part of the stomach to wrap it around the esophagus to recreate that valve that's dysfunctional. Remember that valve we spoke about the esophagus and the stomach? Well, we're gonna recreate that with a procedure through the mouth. That procedure, we'll jump into a little bit more later, but that, that procedure is, like I said, minimally invasive. We don't make any incisions on the belly and patients either go home the same day or the next. There are procedures where you actually ablate the esophagus, where you actually burn it to try to shrink it down I'm only going to talk about that frequently because uh, in, uh, for a minute because I don't perform that procedure and I don't necessarily um, understand the physics behind it or the outcomes behind it. I still think it's in a, in a stage where it's being investigated more than mainstream. The other procedures which are near and dear to my heart are the surgical procedures. Uh, these are procedures we perform laparoscopically with the sticks or with a robot where we go into the belly, we surgically fix that hyalur hernia we mentioned before, or we actually do the fundoplication where we wrap a piece of the stomach around the esophagus and try to recreate that valve that we spoke about is dysfunctional at the beginning of the talk. Perfect. Thank you. Can you talk, uh, since you are a surgeon, about the hiatal hernia aspect 
project and how that in conjunction with the fund applications of action of that, you don't mind. Sure. So imagine that we talked about before, a hiatal hernia is where a part of your stomach pooches up into your chest. Now, the area between the esophagus and the stomach, let's just, for, for ease of sake, we'll call it your sphincter, the big sphincter you got to take care of. That sphincter lines up with your, your diaphragm. Those two together are a nice, powerful valve that prevent you from having reflux. Now, when a part of your stomach pooches up into your chest, there's misalignment of that valve, so it doesn't work properly. So surgically, we go into the abdomen, we loosen up the scar tissue around the stomach, we loosen up the scar tissue around the esophagus, we return the esophagus and the stomach to the abdomen in a normal uh, configuration that you were born with, and we sew it with stitches. Repairing the hiatal hernia has a big impact on reflux and it has a great improvement. An additive procedure that we do at the time of that is a fundoplication, which is where we take a part of the stomach, the side of the stomach specifically, which is a little bit floppy and loose, and we wrap it around the esophagus as a reinforcement, sort of like reinforcing it with a piece of steel or a piece of metal to kind of reinforce that valve to prevent acid from going from the stomach into the esophagus. Perfect. Thank you. I, this is a perfect segue into talking about how the actual TIF procedure works, if you don't mind walking us through or walking the viewers through what the TIF procedure does. Sure. So I'm going to digress from it. Is that okay? Of course. So in my training, when I was training, we I was at a place that did a lot of lung transplants. And that was, GERD was found to cause negative outcomes in people with lung transplants. So there was a lot of investigation and a lot of energy around that by the investigators in um, in Durham to understand how to fix that. So there was a lot of work doing missions, which is a fund application and all the different procedures. And during my first job, I was trying to, I was very, very interested in reflux. So I came across the TIF procedure. And what I liked about it the most was that there are people that either have had their hiatal hernias repaired or they have very minimal hiatal hernias that you can help with a TIF procedure without ever entering their abdomen, never making a decision, never putting them through the stress of a surgery such as that. Very impressed with it. The idea is that you can take a stapling device, imagine a stapling device that can go through your mouth into your stomach. And what it, it does two main, um, has two main outcomes. It lengthens the amount of the esophagus inside the stomach, and it actually takes that part of the stomach and wraps it from the inside. Now, we talked about surgical procedures before. We wrap that from the outside. When we do a tip procedure, all we do differently is we wrap it from the inside. And we can do all of that through the scope, through the mouth, without making any incisions. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, there are some questions about the TIF procedure, so I'm going to pass it over to Karen to get those questions. Sure. Thank you, Andrea. Um, our first question is, how long should I stay on PPIs before it's before my TIF procedure? Before I, so I don't, I don't, I don't really change the medical management until the procedure is performed. So, um, and that might vary from surgeon to surgeon or experience. Uh, a part of the procedure is I keep you on your PPIs. I will actually keep people on their proton pump inhibitors depending upon their pathology. If they have just esophagitis, I will take them off of it early post-op. If they have Barrett's or other features that are more concerning, I may keep them on a proton pump inhibitor until I can prove that that has gotten better. 
And, and just kind of speaking of Barrett's again, there is a question. Um, you know, Corey says he has Barrett's, and can he get the TIF procedure? You can you can have the TIF procedure, or you can have a, a reflux procedure for Barrett's, depending upon the characteristics of the Barrett's. And what I mean by that is when you take the biopsies in the esophagus, there are different grades of Barrett's, and there's different sizes or shapes of the Barrett's. And more specifically, is it a long lesion? Is it a short lesion? Is it a wide lesion? All of those have to come into play. And what you can do is have a good conversation with your GI doctor or your surgeon to see whether or not your Barrett's would be safe to have a, a reflux procedure such as the TIF. And then um, we have a question. Um, Pamela is wondering how long has the TIF procedure been around? I, I, now, so this might be a little bit of a true question. I'm going to guess. I think we're, I think we're at about ten years now. Yeah, seven. Okay, I was on yep. my file. I'm sorry. Well, it, it's gone through iteration, so it's a good point. We've had the device, uh, and it's gone through different iterations. And now we're at the TIF 2.0 procedure, which you, you can probably talk to Dr. Pichancino, um about the ease of use and how it works versus like how it was a couple of years ago. So, um, yeah, no trick questions. <laughs> no trick questions. I, I do have uh, one more question. Uh, one question is, I have a small hiatal hernia and terrible silent reflux. Uh, does the TIF work for silent reflux, and can I get the TIF if I have a hernia? So if you have a small hiatal hernia, a couple centimeters, maybe two or less, the the device or the procedure itself actually does afford some correction for small hiatal hernia. So yes. Now, the term silent reflux is an interesting one. When you talk about silent aspiration, you also need to have an EGD that shows that you have esophagitis because you want to make sure that the problem involves the valve at your where your esophagus goes in your stomach, not something related to the upper parts of your esophagus. So you can have the procedure if it's known that the valve at the bottom of your esophagus is not working properly. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to turn it back to Andrea so we can continue. Fantastic. You're not going to get to that Nashville hot chicken question, Karen? I was going to throw that in when we were talking about Oh, that. that's a good point. Diet. Okay, well, we're about to segue into recovery and the diet post-TIF. So, uh, Dr. Piacentino, can you talk a little bit about, um, first, what could patients expect um, the day of procedure? And then, you know, shortly after, are they staying over the night? What do you do post-procedure, uh, post-surgery? Is it different if they're having a hiatal hernia repair and the TIF or just the TIF? I just threw a whole bunch of questions to you, so I'll just let you go. <laughs> no, they are all great questions. And the good news is I think the advancement in technology of surgery over the past few years has really allowed us to do these procedures with very minimal side effects or uh, after uh, procedure sort of issues. So the TIF procedure right now, I am keeping those patients overnight. Um, I like to get uh, some chest x-rays after your procedure. I like to watch and make sure that they can tolerate fluids uh, by mouth, I should say. So after the procedure for TIF alone and TIF with a hiatal hernia, they're pretty much the same. Um, the most important thing that I do is I give the patient around the clock anti-nausea medication for three weeks. I don't want that patient retching or throwing up or pulling on the stitches or the sutures or the fasteners. 
And then you um, you have a beautiful diet that has been, you know, I've been using for the last eight years that allows a, sm a progression of food over the course of four to six weeks of starting off first with liquids and jello, cottage cheese and yogurt, and then moving to solids around the fourth week. And I've been very happy with that. Now, the interesting part about the TIF diet is that some people respond really well at the beginning where they're e they easily run through that. Some people actually go ahead of it where they have very minimal problems and they can advance their diet much more quickly. And then some people might be a little bit more sensitive. And what I mean by that is the procedures on the esophagus all have one common, um, I should say one common outcome. It causes swelling of the esophagus. So that's why you have to start off with a liquid diet, let your esophagus heal over the next week or two, let it calm down, let the swelling go down, and then you can accept more food over the next coming weeks. That makes sense. What about uh, activity-wise post-procedure? Uh, can they, when do they, when can they go back to work? Uh, are they able to exercise? We get a lot of questions um, regarding that. So both esophageal, I'm sorry, let me back up. Both tip procedures and any procedure involving with a hiatal hernia, I like to minimize any lifting greater than five to 10 pounds for a couple of weeks. Okay. And what I'm looking for is I'm looking for all of that surgery or all those proceed, all that uh, related to the procedure for the body to heal that area. And I think if you're doing strenuous activities, if you're doing a lot of lift pull on those areas, and all of us know that when we take, um, you know, take a deep breath or when you, you know, exert yourself quite a bit, you move your diaphragm, you move your belly wall. And I want all of what we did to heal in nicely to give you a nice, durable um, outcome. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, Karen, I'll let you, I saw a couple more questions pop up. So get to that hot chicken one. I'll, I want to see what he said. I will. <laughs> now that we kind of talked about the, the tip diet, John uh, wants to know if he gets a TIF procedure, uh, can he go back to eating Nashville hot chicken? <laughs> so, so my here's my so my take on this. If you have any procedure for reflux, if you have a TIF procedure, you have a hiatal hernia procedure, and say two weeks after the procedure, you try something, you try to eat something, and it doesn't go down well, feel well. I always tell patients, write it down and revisit that a month later. Because your body's in a constant state of healing. You're waiting for that esophagus to, for the swelling to come down. You're waiting for all the anesthesia that you had in your body to go away. You're waiting for your body to get stronger again. And I'm very happy and very surprised to see that patients will say to me, oh, I tried that spicy food three weeks after my procedure and I had a miserable night. And then a month later, I felt great because I didn't have my reflux anymore. And a lot of it has to do with the healing process. You're actually taking the esophagus and you're wrapping the stomach around it. You're putting little fasteners in to heal it. The body has to heal that. It needs a little bit of time. Thank you for that. Um, we've got another question from um, Diana. Um, she wants to know, has the TIF procedure been effective in gastroparesis patients or does it just help the GERD? And is the TIF procedure helpful for the overproduction of acid in the stomach? So, I can extrapolate a little bit of data on that one. I don't know if there are any studies out there that looked at TIF specifically in gastroparesis. I'm not familiar with that data. But when you do a fundoplication, it increases your gastric transit. That has been well studied. 
in people that have had surgical fundal applications, it does increase your, your gastric motility because what you do is you take a little part of the stomach and you wrap it around the esophagus. That basically makes the volume of the stomach smaller, so stomach moves through it faster. So what I would I would argue that if you improve the mechanics of your stomach, that will probably translate into an improvement in your gastroparesis. Thank you for that. And then uh, we have another question that just came in. Does age matter for someone with GERD? Does stress agitate, agitate GERD? I'm a younger college student with a night shift job and I've been having issues. Absolutely, because the number one, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess on this one, when you have stress and when you have, you know, different kind of work schedules, you probably don't have a diet that you wish you had. You probably are eating probably small meals fast. You're probably squeezing in meals at different times. Your, your sleep schedule is probably upset with respect to how you work and how you eat. So in those cases, I would, again, get back to small meals more frequently. Um, there, it is true that your acid production is related to the time of the day. And also, again, with your sleep schedule and how you eat, if you don't, if you do eat within the times that you're going to be supine or lying down, that can exacerbate your GERD. So I would say that, again, keep a diary, and I think you'll learn a lot about yourself and improve your, um, your GERD problems. Thank you for that. And then I just want to uh, note before I turn it back to Andrea that Diana says thank you so much for answering her questions. Appreciate I appreciate it. it. Thank you. Thank you. So you mentioned quite a few times about the food diary, and I love that. And uh, actually, we here at GERD Help uh, have an app called the GERD Help app, and uh, you can download it. It's for free. So if you're watching and you're looking for a great way to kind of monitor or, or diary the foods that you're eating, what's causing you to have any symptoms, um, this is a really great app. You can and you can basically log in. I ate hot chicken and I had, you know, an hour later I had really bad reflux or I had this or that. And it's a great tool to come into your doctor after you've been kind of monitoring what you've been eating and the and the symptoms you've been having that you can come in and see Dr. Piacentino and say, hey, here's kind of what's been happening. And and it shows you, you can run a report and I'll show you how many times. You were you had you know it's usually at night or it's right after I eat dinner or whatnot. So um, if you want and you're watching, there is a GERD Help app. You can download it on your um, mobile app, Apple, Apple or and or Android phone, um, and it's free. So there's that. Before we uh, conclude, uh, Dr. Picentino, um, do you have any words of advice uh, for anyone that's out there that is suffering from GERD, what would your like number one recommendation be for them? The most important piece of advice I would say is you do not need to live with GERD. There is a lot of technology out there now. There is a lot of attention being given. A lot of research has been given into non-pharmacological ways to take care of your GERD. Coming from someone who during medical school residency um, and, and college, you know, took a lot of PPIs. You do not need to suffer um, and take med. There are medical, there are non-medical med uh, modalities out there and procedures out there. And I, you are empowered. There's information on the internet. There are um, like 
we said there's apps, there's uh, websites that can give you more information about these procedures. And I think you can bring that to your doctor, bring that, challenge your doctor, challenge your healthcare provider to say, besides this pill, which again was only indicated for 14 days, how can I get off this medication? What can I do so I can live a GERD-free life? Yeah. Well, and you just mentioned the 14 days and someone uh, on here said that they've been on it for 20 years. <laughs> it's like, when when is enough? When is enough enough, right? And I think one of the greatest stories I always hear from patients after having the TIF procedure is, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know that it could be this good because I just was dealing with it until after I had the TIF procedure. So uh, are there any uh, special or interesting stories of patients that have had the TIF procedure that you would like to share with us tonight? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so so I, when I was in Arkansas, there was a specific um, group of young ladies who would come to me who would at the bridge club. And there was a patient there that I took care of for reflux. She had a hiatal hernia, so I fixed her hiatal hernia. I did her TIF. And I ended up doing and taking care of all of their friends at the bridge club. Wow. And to this day, I still get Facebook messages. I still get texts from them. I, I get questions about my kids. How's the boys? They're always reaching out. So then when I came to Myrtle Beach, I thought, well, let's, let's start doing that. You know, let's start ramping up our GERD work. And exactly the same thing has happened. Wow. Um, you know, the most gratifying, it, it is, it's great to take care of patients who have, you know, you can cure cancer, or it's great to take care of patients that you can fix a hernia. But GERD has such a huge impact on people's lives, their inability to, to enjoy food with their friends and family, because all of us know, you know, eating, you know, dinner with your, your family and your friends and enjoying is a big part of our lives. And there is nothing better than having someone come to you in clinic tearing up a little bit, mm. giving you a hug and saying, thank you for giving my life back. Wow. That is the most gratitude. That's the best part of my day in clinic. I just got and the I chills. I just got the chills from that story. That That is awesome. And what you do is 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 amazing. So thank you for that. And uh, one thing I do want to mention to everyone watching is um, GERD Awareness Week is actually in November during, ironically, Thanksgiving week, when everyone wants to eat a lot of stuff themselves with turkey and mashed potatoes and all of that. Um, so in an effort to raise awareness for GERD, um, we're starting a new campaign. It's called um, Gourmet GERD, uh, Recipes for um, Acid Reflux, if you will. And we're doing a little contest. So if you're watching and you would like to submit a GERD friendly friendly recipe, um, it may be featured in our new e-cookbook that we're going to have, and you'll get a copy of that. Um, and we'll also have uh, we're going to pick three winners for a um, $500 gift certificate to HelloFresh. So some fresh meals. So if you have a GERD friendly recipe that you'd like to submit, there is a link. Uh, on the show that we're we're airing today, and you can just submit your um, recipe. Uh, so, if you are in the Myrtle Beach, South Carolina area, and uh, you are looking for a TIF trained physician, you can find Dr. Val Piacenti. I want to say it right, Val Piacentino. Is that right? <laughs> Close. That's perfect. 
That sounds perfect. Very good. So Great you can job. find. Thank you. You can find them there. Uh, if you are not in the area, um, you can go to their website. It's GERDHelp.com, and there is a fitter on there. Uh, you just type in your state or your zip code, and you'll be able to find a TIF-trained physician near you. Dr. Piacentino, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We're very excited to have you here. Um, I know everybody that's been wa watching um, thanks you very thanks you um, for all of your expert information. Heather saying Dr. P is awesome. See, I should have said Dr. P. That would have been easier. <laughs> I appreciate it. This has been great. I really do appreciate the opportunity. I feel very privileged to get a chance to help take care of people. Fantastic. And we thank you at Endogastric Solutions as well. So again, thank you, everyone everyone for joining us this evening. Uh, you can catch us every Tuesday um, to watch our TIFF Talks with our guests. Um, until then, please stay safe and have a great evening. Thank you, everybody. If you are suffering from chronic acid reflux and want more information, please visit GERDhelp.com or download our GERDhelp mobile app. Thanks for tuning into another episode of TIFF Talk. Leave your questions and comments on our social media at GERD Help. Live well, GERD free.